Hello, God Made Me Do It fans. Becky and I want to thank you all for continuing to follow us online and on our socials and here by listening to our podcast. Our downloads have tripled since I last gave an update and our posts on TikTok have consistently been seeing views at a good rate. So we want to thank you guys for telling your friends and family about our little pod here. Yeah, thank you guys so much for spreading the word and we are seeing it in the numbers. So we have a vision we want to tell you guys about. We would like to see this pod morph and expand as we get better at speaking and editing our content. I'm working on our website presently, and I will let you guys in on a secret, a sneak peek into how we plan to take this podcast into season after season of content. This season, as you know, is titled God Made Me Do It. It centers around belief systems as a reason for people to commit crime. But in our upcoming seasons, it won't just be God that our criminals will blame. We will be expanding from God Made Me Do It to other genres like Love Made Me Do It. See what I did there? (laughs) So don't think that we're just going to be a one-trick pony over here. We hope to grow our audience and give you a variety of cases for a variety of different reasons behind those crimes. We're talking about love made me do it, greed made me do it, drugs made me do it. Who knows? I actually put a poll on our Spotify, so I don't know if you guys can see it. Please let me know if you don't. But I did say, which genre would you like to see next? I put love, greed, and drugs. So what are you guys most interested in listening to if we start a season two? Yeah, so many good changes coming up. Thank you guys so much again for coming back for another episode. We appreciate it and look forward to our new episode releases as much as you guys. Okay, friends. Well, this case we worked on is from a beautiful and very cultured place with a long, vast ancient history. We are talking about the country of Japan. Ooh. I was blessed to visit there for a month in 2016. I didn't get to go to the mainland part of Japan. I went to Okinawa, but oh man, the people, the food, the sights, the art were amazing. This was probably one of three countries outside the U.S. that I could totally see myself moving to permanently. (laughs) I strongly recommend that if you haven't been, you need to go. Yeah, I have never been to Japan, but I was really obsessed with this show a while ago on Netflix called Uh Terrace House. And they follow the lives of 18 to, like, later 20s kids. And, like, they're, like, coming out in the world, you know, like, Mm -hmm. trying to find their feet. It was so interesting. I learned so much about, like, the Japanese culture. And I was, like, super obsessed with it. And Mm -hmm. I learned little phrases watching the show. So it was pretty cool. (laughs) I really loved just everybody that we would meet was so kind and thoughtful and the way they prepare food I mean everything is like taken with care and they really do um I mean it's just such a clean country too like very clean like yeah awesome okay so let's get into it let's go on March 20 1995 five men boarded a Tokyo subway train to carry out a terrorist act these men belonged to a religious movement called Om Shinrikyo led by Shoko Asahara. This attack was one of many this group perpetuated against their enemies. 
What set off this Vengefield crime spree, resulting in mass casualties and multiple deaths all over Tokyo? We'll find out on God Made Me Do It. And Lisa, wasn't this case brought by your desk mate at work? Is that what he is? <laughs> well, he sits in the cubicle right next door. Oh, okay. Or, or right next to me. Yes. You so, only show me pictures. It looks like you guys are, like, in the same area. But we I guess are. there's a we, wall. There's a... I mean, it's like a half of a little... <laughs> oh, okay. Partition. It's not even... You're right. Basically, desk mates. Thank you, Garrison Simpson. Just shout out to Simpson for that. He also was the one that suggested changing our theme as well. Yeah, doing He was the first one to throw out, oh, you should do this case. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. You're doing, like, God made me do it. And he's like, I guess, you know, if someday you ever did, like, greed made me do it, then you could do that case. And I was like, what did you just say? And then we just started going off about all the different ideas. Yeah, he's super invested. He is. (laughs) Thank you. He's one of our (laughs) biggest fans. Thank you, Garrison. Awesome. Okay, so... Om Shinrikyo means supreme truth. This religious group was formed in the 1980s. It was a mix of Hindu, Buddhist, and later even some Christian teachings. This was founded by a man named Shoko Asahara. He believed himself to be Christ and the first enlightened one since Buddha. If you guys were listening to our Word of Life podcast, I'm sure you recognize that we just mentioned red flags number one and two. (laughs) Yeah. This guy thinking he's some sort of special prophet or deity, yeah. So Shoko's birth name was Matsumoto Chizuo. He was born March 2nd, 1955 in Kumamoto, Japan. Kumamoto is the largest city on the island of Kyushu, which is the third largest of four main islands of Japan. The Pacific Ocean is on the left and the Indian Ocean is on the right. It's a beautiful place to grow up in if you ask me. In the 1980s, Japan had boomed into a potential world superpower, and its economy and technology had flourished. According to journalist Shoko Igawa, the explosion left Japan's young people lost and searching for meaning. Asahara was a failed pharmacist who had been punished for trying to sell bunk products such as tangerine peel in alcohol as medicine. Interested in religious movements, he took advantage of the moment and founded Om Shinrikyo in 1987 as a meditation and yoga class. It was not some sort of simple yoga school where you practice breathing, says one practitioner. There was a religious element. He was charismatic and manipulative and had become very dissatisfied with traditional Japanese Buddhism. He liked Tibetan and Theravada Buddhist teachings better so he created his own religion. Om Shinrikyo, or Om for short, became an official religious organization in Japan in 1989. As a religious organization, Om was free to pursue its activities without the oversight or scrutiny of the Japanese government. Mm-hmm. So like here, when somebody starts a religion or whatever, or like starts a church, they can get tax exemption. Yeah. But it doesn't mean they're free from any kind of oversight, but I don't really know that the government really gets involved once people, unless like they do illegal stuff, right? I mean, yeah, because we have all these like cults like Waco and stuff that like aren't really watched by the government Until they start like getting tons of weapons and then... Yeah, until someone like, you know... Or dies. Yeah. Um, like that, like word of life, you know, Mm -hmm. when he got killed... 
Asahara would give lectures at universities and he wrote books which gained him worldwide fame. He taught anyone who would listen about a spiritual path that led to enlightenment in this life. Followers would use yoga and meditation and psychic development exercises to facilitate their growth toward enlightenment. There were three levels of initiation, and if you made it to the third level, you could be a monk, an official member of the religious order who dedicates their life to the cause. Followers gave total devotion to their guru, Shoko Asahara. So he's basically like this snake oil salesman. Yeah. Who just is really good at talking to people. And I just find that's true most of the time with these cult leaders, right? They failed in every other area of their mm -hmm. life, but they're so good at manipulating people. And that's how they suck everyone in. Every time. Yeah. And they don't want to actually do work. You know, they're kind of lazy. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're like, how can I just like, you know, get people, I can get people to believe me, but I can't really make money. So I'll just like get people to believe my religion and they'll just give me all their money. And they'll give me all their money. I'll just tell them that they have to, otherwise they can't make it to heaven or whatever, you know, enlightened place. How can I scare them? <laughs> oh my gosh. So Asahara thought he was a prophet and predicted upcoming problems for the country of Japan. He even said there would be a World War III. Asahara told his followers that Ohm would replace the Japanese government after World War III during the inevitable chaos that would occur. He and his followers wholeheartedly believed that the world could be saved, but only if, first, it was destroyed. Like the story of Noah, how God was going to wipe everyone out in a flood then they alone would survive and the earth would be renewed, something like that. Ohm believers would inherit the new world and be chosen. As Asahara's following grew to more than 3,000, the charismatic leader adopted sneaky methods to recruit more impressionable Japanese. He published fun magazines and anime cartoons where he was the central character. Did you see any of the videos of him? No, did you? Yeah, I watched them. <laughs> and he was doing like a meditation pose and his little character was like floating through time and space dimensions, <laughs> you know, there's like planets swirling and it was like very hokey, I don't know. Home Shinrikyo in the multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> He also wrote a book called Supreme Initiation. Asahara also sold bottles of his own blood for prices upward of 8000 which oh he... Oh my gosh. That's so gross. Which he falsely claimed was proven powerful in a lab. He also sold his bath water, saying it Ugh. has powers within it. It probably has something in it. I don't know about powers. It's <laughs> <laughs> sick. <laughs> Fecal matter. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he meant particles in it. <laughs> Around this time, Asahara began calling himself the Messiah of the last century. He told believers of Aum that they would now achieve spiritual gifts, such as mind reading and levitation. This tactic seemed to be working. Asahara gained more followers and money to build living compounds where he pressured members to move in permanently. So he, I think this was red flag five or six where yeah. he now builds a compound and isolates his followers. Yeah, trying to give that, have them give up everything. 
he now had them under his control and started encouraging followers to eat as little as possible. A typical Ohm meal was boiled vegetables with no seasoning. I mean, he's got to save the money for the other stuff he wants, so he's got them on a diet, you know. Yeah, he's got to pay for his, like, television starring, you know. (laughs) His animated cartoon. Right. (laughs) Another method of control was oversleep habits and hygiene. This is, like, such a cult move. Followers living at the compound were to sleep no more than three hours at night and not change clothes. Filth was a virtue. No. No. Ohm's numbers of followers reached up to 10,000 in Japan during this time. About 1,100 of those were shukesha, which means they gave up their jobs and families to live in the compound. So the Shukesha were like monks, like the ones that totally gave up their lives. So we're talking about 10,000 filthy (laughs) people that were like fine with listening to this guy who sells his blood for $8,000. I just, I don't understand. But you know what? We can't fault them. And they're all like doing like yoga and stuff. Yeah. Thinking that they're reaching some sort of enlightenment. I mean, it's all, usually people follow these people for like some sort of, connection to a spiritual path so you can't blame them it's just you know frustrating though it's sad so at the height of his power asahara tried to get into politics he would even promote candidates that were followers of his so that he might govern through their election all of his attempts though were unsuccessful and he was super embarrassed fail It also pushed him to distrust the government more. His message became darker because of this rejection. Asahara's new message became, you cannot avoid Armageddon. And Ohm teachings focused on withstand this coming war. This is when Ohm created a Russian branch when the Soviet Union fell in 1991, led by right-hand man Fumihiro Joyu. Through this new branch, Ohm purchased military hardware from the former Soviet Union. This included AK-47 assault rifles. So now he's arming his followers. Great. This is getting pretty dark. This is not a good sign. Asahara's darker new message also included language that his believers should push forward the apocalypse by launching attacks. So no longer is it passive and we're waiting for the apocalypse. We're now inciting the apocalypse. Yeah. These attacks were to include biological weapons. That was like his vision. The group's descent into violence didn't happen overnight. It was gradual. Supposedly, in late 1988, a follower accidentally drowned during a ritual, and Asahara, fearing attention from authorities, ordered his body to be burned and disposed of. After his death, the man's best friend became disillusioned with Ohm and tried to leave. He was also killed. A few months after that, Asahara ordered his followers to kill a lawyer that was representing families of his followers who were trying to expose his control over their family members. Yeah, so like a lot of the families of these people who had joined the cult were like, I can't get in touch with my kid or, you know, like what's going on. I think a lot of them were like teenagers 
18, 19, 20. Yeah. Mm. And so... And good on them for, like, pursuing this yeah. to the point that... They were like, this isn't okay that yeah. you're denying them communication with their family. Oh, yeah. So they were trying to kill the lawyer that was representing the families, right? Yeah. Cult members also killed the lawyer's wife and one-year-old son. So they did end up killing that lawyer and his wife and his one-year-old son. After this assassination, Asahara asked his disciples what the most potent poison was, and one replied, botulinum. Asahara ordered his followers to get this toxin and store it for further use. Own members tried and failed many times to produce their own toxins at their compound. They would put bacteria into the soil and test it on small animals, but their attempts failed over and over. At one point, Asahara tried to purchase new land to do more testing. But the land was purchased fraudulently, so the own members who signed the lease were arrested, and Asahara had to dismantle the project. So I was looking into some of these tests that he would do. I mean, he was literally trying to find any kind of, like, fungus or bacteria. Yeah. Regrowing it in these, like, you know, supposed labs that he made. I mean, nothing's actual lab grade. Everything's, like, really amateurish. He's, He's like, who in my congregation here right. is, like, a scientist? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Raise your hand. <laughs> even most of them were really just like, well, I'm a general scientist, but I don't really know how to grow this or, like, what kind of stuff's going to make it thrive. Yeah. How to make it more toxic so it's going to kill people. And yeah. So, I mean, it was just trial and error, trial and error. All oh, this money and gosh. stuff and going into all these different tests that he was doing. And, of course, every time it's failing. Every time members of Om Shinrikyo did something illegal or questionable, the police didn't really push for answers or shut them down. This emboldened Om to continue to do things that were violent and harmful to others. So basically, the police would just be like, oh, they're crazy, but like not really ask questions, not really push, mm-hmm. not really go onto their property and, and search anything. They were just kind of thinking, ah, they're just a bunch of nuts that like do yoga and you know, they really didn't take them seriously. And that kind of, like I said, it emboldened them to continue to try what they were doing. Yeah, I don't think they looked very... Violent or, like, no. scary. Yeah. The believers who supported Asahara's dark vision, regardless of the moral implications, acquired greater status within the organization, obviously, right? hmm <laughs> If cult members had doubts, though... They justified within themselves that Asahara's vision transcended their own worldly concerns. So they just blew it off, too, in their own minds. Even if they felt some of the stuff wasn't okay, they're like, uh, but he's, you know, smarter than me. He's better than me. I'm going to just follow him anyway. It's believed that the group was able to attempt at least 20 attacks with biological and chemical weapons prior to 1995. They used a trial and error approach, like I was saying, until they found what they were looking for. According to the Journal of Strategic Security at the University of Southern Florida, in the fall of 1993, Ohm was able to generate 20 grams of sarin. Asahara ordered increased production, which meant a facility to create this toxin. Asahara ordered construction of a 30 million U.S. dollar facility, equipped with three laboratories, a computer control center, and five reactors, all of which was made from corrosion-resistant hastaloy ideal for the production of chemical weapons. From its opening in October to November, 600 grams of sarin were produced, and by December, 3 kilograms of sarin was produced at the 90% purity level. 
However, the limited chemistry background of the facility's organizer, Kazuyoshi Takagawa, led to suboptimal results. Group members then began targeted attacks in Japan using botulinum toxin, bacillus anthracis, and sarin. All were unsuccessful. Thank God. I read that when they tried to use the bacillus anthracis Mm -hmm. anthrax, that they had gotten a sample of it and tried to, like, grow it in the lab, Mm -hmm. but they had the vaccine version of it. (laughs) (laughs) And so they were, like, trying all these things to, like, make this, like, toxin and, like, you know. Really? They're making people immune to it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh my god. Good one. You know what? That's God right there. That's so embarrassing for them. But good for humanity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh boy. In 1994, Ohm tried to order a series of attacks against individuals that were considered a threat, including one that targeted judges involved in a legal case concerning Ohm. The judges survived the attack, but eight people in total died and an additional 200 were injured. This semi-successful event led to Ohm's followers putting all of their energy into their new biological chemical warfare laboratories and facilities. This was the focus that led them to commit an attack that would gain them international notoriety and categorize them as a terrorist group. Yikes. So they're kind of, like, just going after anyone who's against them. Mm -hmm. You can't turn your back on them. You can't be against them. Or now you've got a target on your back. At 7.45 a.m. on March 20th, 1995, five men entered the Tokyo subway station, each with bags of sarin. Each boarded a separate subway line. Their trains all headed toward the... Tsukigi Station in central Tokyo at virtually the same time. Each attacker dropped his bags of sarin on the floor of the train and punctured them before exiting the train and the station, leaving the scene in a waiting getaway car. As the liquid in the bags began to vaporize, the fumes began affecting the passengers. The trains continued on towards the center of the city, with sickened passengers leaving the cars at each station. The fumes were spread at each stop, either by emanating from the tainted cars themselves or through contact with liquid contaminating people's clothing and shoes. Many of the individuals who were overcome by exposure to sarin during the attack were those who came into contact with the agent while they were trying to assist those who had already been stricken. Oh, no. Among the victims were two subway employees who died attempting to dispose of punctured sarin bags at the Kasumi Gaseki station. So I heard that even the subway workers would, like, see the bags and, like, picked it up with their hands, not knowing, like, how bad it was. And super lethal. Wow. And how brave, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As authorities began their investigation into the attack, they quickly began making connections between the gassing and earlier incidents, and suspicion quickly focused on Om Shinriko. Two days after the incident, police conducted a massive raid on the Om offices in Tokyo and its laboratory headquarters at Kamikuishiki. 
in Yamanashi Prefecture. In the process, seizing numerous canisters of toxic chemicals used to manufacture sarin. In May, Ohm's leader Asahara Shoku, or Matsumoto Chizu, and more than a dozen other cult leaders were arrested in nationwide raids. So I wonder what it's like, what the sarin was like. I know it caused difficulty breathing and... Great question. One time in high school, someone set off like a, <clears throat> like tear gas in the hallway. Oh my gosh, are you serious? <laughs> like, yeah. And so everyone was coughing and their eyes were like super watering. You could get around. Yeah. It was just like, you have like super bad allergies all of a sudden, you know? I've been sprayed with pepper spray. Really? But part of your training? Well, actually, oh, to God. be honest, it wasn't. It was oh, like a friend of mine that was messing around and it was like, oh, no, it's not going to spray. Like he thought that he had the lock on it and he didn't and he sprayed it. But he, he didn't even spray it on me. It was like just in the middle of where we were all standing. And we all like immediately you started choking. Like you, yeah. It caught you in your throat. Like, yeah. Immediately. So the effects of sarin gas. Even a small drop of sarin on the skin can cause sweating and muscle twitching when it mm. touches the skin. Exposure to large doses of sarin by any route, meaning like any way, would result in the following harmful effects. They say like blurred vision, runny new I mean like some of the like typical runny nose, watery eyes, eye pain, blurred vision, coughing, nausea, confusion, weakness, and headaches. Like, those are, like, some of the milder, so, but, like, all the way up to, uh, you know, muscle twitching and loss of consciousness, cardiac arrest. Oh, wow, that's intense. Depending on, like, how much was... Yeah. Oh, I hate when there's, like, the thought of, like, something going off and you can't see it. It's not like a cloud of right. smoke or something. Mm-hmm. You just know that you're affected and you're like, what is yeah. going on, you know? Yeah. Just horrible. I can't imagine that. I know we do training for chemical warfare in the military. We have to wear these chemical suits. Mm. We walk around and then they'll yell, gas, gas, gas. You have like, you have eight seconds to get the gas mask out of the container and put it on your face, get a good seal. Yeah. And then you have like an additional 10 seconds to get your whole outfit on, like the gloves, the over boots, everything. And you're sweating. Oh, yeah. And as you sweat, though, and this is what's, I mean, it's not like, I'm, I probably shouldn't be saying this is classified. No, I'm just kidding. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, as you sweat, though, the seal starts to break on your mask, right? So if you're doing this for hours, like if, if there was an attack and it didn't dissipate within a certain amount of time, your mask could slide off your face and then you would break the seal and you would be exposed. So yeah. That's always like a fear because how long can you not sweat when you're in and, and you're stressed out? So yeah. you're, and they have us practice so we can do our jobs while we're in these outfits. He's like, you know, we're oh like an astronaut. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's crazy. Oh my um, God. But yeah, they then they show you what can happen to you if you do get exposed, like to kind of drill in that fear, why you need to have the gas mask seal so tight, why you can't breathe it in. You know, you can end up like, Looking like a zombie. Losing your bowels, like crying, like profuse tears and runny nose and like not being able to breathe. I mean, there's so many things that they Mm -hmm. show you that scares the living shit out of you. And so then you're like, I got to get a good seal. I got to make sure, blah, blah, blah. And they walk around and they look. And if there's fog, if you can see fog in the inside of your mask, you don't have a good seal. (gasps) That's the telltale. Really? Yes. Because that means it's exposed to the outside and it's making moisture. 
Ah, learn something new. It's crazy. Okay, anyway, sorry. And back to the story. So at the time of the gassing incident, March 20th, 1995, Ohm claimed some 50,000 members, the majority of whom lived in Russia. However, the arrest of Asahara and several hundred members of the leadership and rank and file and conviction of 200 of those arrested for both the subway attack and other numerous violent acts including the gas attack at Matsumoto, Japan in 94, decimated the group, and the Japanese government seized its property. Although a small group remained in Japan, foreign affiliates dissolved in the wake of the gassing. In early 2000, Ohm's new leaders admitted Asahara's role in a series of crime, including the two gas attacks, distancing themselves from his spiritual leadership set up a program to pay compensation to the victims' families, and change the organization's name to Aleph. The group had more than 1,500 members in the early 21st century, but in 2007, Asahara's successor, Joju Fumihiro, left Aleph with a number of members and formed a new organization, Hikari no Wa. Ring of Light. Although Asahara denied that his sect had been involved in the gas attacks, <laughs> okay, right. Several of his followers later admitted that all members had participated in the Tokyo and Matsumoto incidents and implicated the sect in the 1989 killing of the lawyer and his family. It was also revealed that Ohm had attempted the failed attack of March 15th and was involved in a string of murders of those members or those who thought to be enemies of the cult. So it's crazy that it took so long, though, to break that silence. Like, it really took a long time for the Japanese government to get people to turn over on this guy. Yeah. Like, it took years and years, and his followers were just like, stay quiet. Way later, they have people coming forward saying, no, you're right. He did. He was the one that told us. He was like, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I saw, like, some interviews of people, and they were like, you know, he came to my college, and he got us, like, very young, and we were very Mm. impressionable. And I know from, like, watching that show, like, what are your talents? What can you give to this world? Okay, that's what your career is going to be. It's so cool. Like, You just have to find what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, and, like, that's what you need to go and study. And it's not about, oh, I need to make tons of money and stuff. It's kind of like a balance of, like, having, like, a fulfilling life and then also, you know, making it a career. Yeah. That's beautiful, actually. Yeah. I I super like that. So I think that these people were manipulated so young and then they were told, you know, like, oh, we're doing this. You're part of this movement. And, like, everything probably seemed so good and then it just, like, all went to shit, you know? Right. And then they were probably just like, oh my god, how embarrassing. I was part of this and I fell for this. He said it took a lot to admit to people that he had been part of that because he was just so ashamed. Like, I can't believe that I went through with what they were doing, you know? And I know that, like, I mean, obviously this is from movies and, like, documentaries, but I know that the Japanese culture are very... They care a lot about their legacy, you know, how they are perceived and bringing shame on their family so if they were involved in this and you know it was found out later they're creating sarin gas they're killing people 
I can only imagine that, of course, they wanted to hide that. So I guess that would Mm -hmm. probably explain most of their silence, right? I mean, I'm sure there was some um, loyalty to the leader, but then there was also like, if my family finds out, they're going to shun me. I can't, you know. So three O members wanted in connection with the cult's crimes remained fugitives for more than a decade and a half. The first, Hirata Makoto, surrendered to Tokyo police at the end of 2011. So, oh my gosh, it was like, what, 89 to 2011? Mm-hmm. So that's crazy. Tw- and that's only 12 years ago that they actually came forward. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this was so recent. Way to keep a secret. Yeah. And Kikuchi Naoko, the second of the three, was arrested in early June 2012 in Sagamahara, Kanagawa Prefecture. Less than two weeks later, the third fugitive, Takahashi Katsuya, was apprehended in Tokyo. I feel like Tokyo must be, like, really big. These guys were just, like, hiding out there for so long. There's so many people in Tokyo. <laughs> oh, my I'm, God. I'm find out the population. It's a lot. Okay. So Takahashi was the most wanted of the trio. He had been Asahara's bodyguard and was suspected of having driven one of the getaway cars in the subway attack. He also received a life sentence for his role in the crime. Okay, so the population of Tokyo... Do we think it's more or less than the population of Los Angeles? I'm going to say more. It's more. So the population of Los Angeles right now is 3.849 million. It's not that big. And the population of Tokyo is 13 million. (gasps) So it's, let's see, New York. Because we were just in L.A. last weekend. You're in L.A., but then you're, like, in Hollywood or you're in Long Beach. It, it's so divided, you know. L.A. is really spread out. Yeah. Like, like really, L.A. County yeah, is, is big. Yeah. And I feel like that's why Tokyo is so big because they just kept it all one city. Yeah. And New York is only 8.468 million. Oh. So it's... And San Francisco is hella small. It's, like, what? Um, not even a million? Uh, oh, you're... Wow, you're totally right. It's under a million. It's only 815,201 people as of 2021. It could be more now, but it's still not the same. Well, because San Francisco has like some high rises, but then it's a lot of family homes, Mm -hmm. like single family homes. So basically, if you combine L.A. and New York... That yeah. would be Tokyo. That's how big it is. That's a lot, though. That's big. Well, and Those also, are, like, some of the biggest cities we have yeah. in New York. Population-wise? Yeah. I wouldn't say surface area, but I'd say, like, yeah. people. So the fact that those two, you mush them together, and that would be Tokyo, that's a lot. That's huge. And it's well, an one island. Thing, it's on a little island. It's, like... One thing that Asian countries love are skyscrapers. Yeah. And they, you have huge skyscrapers tons of apartments and you are just fitting people in that vertical space that's right <laughs> i'm always you just go to like, all those places i don't know uh, we went to malaysia and the philippines and there were like a lot of and we've been to like hong kong right? so yeah, yeah i know i've been to like a few asian countries and the amount of skyscrapers they have there like blows your mind yeah so that's how they fit 13 million people yeah. in tokyo <laughs> in on that an island. vertical yeah. space insane so yeah, this is a 
crazy tale of another cult, another cult leader who, again, believes himself to be a manifestation of God in some way, shape, or form, tells people, if you follow me, you're going to be enlightened. But then we know, like, underneath all of this, he's a manipulative loser who cannot hold his weight in real society. So he... yeah you know, sections these people off from their loved ones. He has them donate all their money to him. He has them quit their jobs, not take showers and not eat. So gross. And, you know, he gets disillusioned because his political career, you know, doesn't take off. So then he starts getting people to make poison. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that you've said before is, like, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And one of the things I read about him is that he was pretty much blind, Yes, I did read that too. Yeah, fully Mm -hmm. blind in one eye and then, like, almost blind in the other eye. And so he went to, like, a special school Mm. for the blind. Uh Uh-huh. I think that they're kind of looked down upon. And it's like, okay, well, you can be a Chinese medicine or, like, kind of pharmacist job. Yeah, so that's why he was doing what he was doing. Yeah, but he was not actually into it and selling, like, that fake, you know, Uh specialty water. Got in trouble with the law for like, yeah, he got in trouble, people. yeah. And then later on, he was just like trying to do his weird TV shows and books and stuff. And, and that's like the first time he ever felt power is all these people start believing in him, yeah. and he just starts, you know, feeling special. And so he tells people, Oh, yeah, I have all these powers, follow me. And there's like, I can a... only imagine that you could get drunk off that kind of power, yeah. Oh, and I think he did. I think he did. He had this picture of himself, like, levitating. Did you see that? No. What? He's, like... Come on. Crossing his legs where you do, like, your crisscross applesauce, but your feet are... (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell I'm a mom? (laughs) Right? Your feet are, like, up on the top, you know? Uh Uh-huh, right. he's doing, like, the meditation pose, but he somehow had bounced up off the ground so he's like six inches or something off the ground Uh and that was him proving to his followers he could levitate he has special powers and if you reach that third level i think that was one of the things he told them you can do this too yeah and so it was a pretty famous image of him like Uh. you know have the crucifix on your wall have the levitating guy on your wall Mm -hmm. so he was like all about getting his face out there literally he hurt a lot of people yeah eight people that died in the attack and then hundreds of others thousands thousands that were severely injured because the train just kept going it was actually a pretty like smart like well thought out because the train just kept going and then it was just polluting Oh, yeah, because even, so scary. Like, if, even if you touch it, even like, so say the, the gas is already dissipated, but like you're touching the product, droplets even contain yeah. toxin enough to have your body have a reaction to it. So yeah. you're injuring so many people. Everybody's run into the hospital. I can only imagine the chaos that must have happened that day. Yeah. So you're going to the hospital, you're infecting yeah. the hospital. If you're going back to your house, what if you're getting into one of those super tall skyscrapers in the mm-hmm. elevator? And you're just, you know. Droplets on your clothes, on your shoes. Yeah. You're bringing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. just spreading, like, the spores, like Think fungus. all the fear that was probably instilled on that day. I can only imagine everybody freaking out. Oh, my God. I'm freaked out. And I don't know if you've seen the videos of Japanese trains and how they pack so many people so mm. tight. 
yeah. to try to get everybody from A to B. And mm-hmm. I was even thinking, like, if I ever tried to get, I would get claustrophobic. I can't, you can't oh, have yeah. me literally mashed against the door or, like, other people. Oh, yeah. And think that I'm going to not freak out. Really? I'm You're freak short, out. huh? So I bet that's even scarier. It's, At least I can usually see above people's heads. I'm, like, <laughs> that's gasping true. So for you're air. Like, All the air's up here for yeah. me. Rude. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Please visit Japan. Don't be scared of these people. They're gone. The cult is gone. And it's an amazing country. I hope you will all travel there if you get the chance to. It's definitely on our bucket list. Keep following us. We have lots of exciting things coming up. We're super stoked for that. And be sure to follow us on our socials at God Made Me Do It Pod on TikTok and Instagram. And then you can also email us at Gmail and yeah, continue sending in any stories or your feedback. We love to hear it. And last time Becky gave a shout out to you guys to even if you follow us on a different type of platform, um, if you could also follow us on Spotify so we can see your numbers, we can get those analytics and statistics. Also, there is a comments section that you can fill out there if you guys have any feedback. And there's a poll that I brought up in the beginning of this pod to let us know what kind of cases you'd be interested in following next on our next season when that begins. Yeah. We don't know when that's going to be, but it's, you know, we've only done 11 episodes so far. We're going to keep pushing along, but at some point we would love to transition over and do like a different type of case. So um, we'd love to see what your ideas and feedback would be. Really quickly, before we go, we wanted to let you all know that we are not going to be putting out an episode next Wednesday. We're taking a quick summer vacation, but we will be back the following week. So again, please like and subscribe so you know when we drop those new episodes. And stay tuned. How can I just like, you know, get people 
I can get people to believe me, but I can't really make money. So I'll just like get people to believe my religion and they'll just give me all their money. And they'll give me all their money. I'll just tell them that they have to. Otherwise, they can't make it to heaven or whatever, you know, enlightened place. How can I scare them? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Where is this that was super thing? accurate. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, why didn't I try to do that? No, I'm just kidding. There's still time. <laughs> There's no. still time. I'm only 47. <laughs> As the liquid in the bags began to vaporize, the fumes began affecting the passengers. <coughs> no, I'm, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to leave that in there. I was like, this, we're reenacting. I don't know if you've seen the videos of Japanese trains and how they pack so many people so mm. tight. Yeah. To try to get everybody from A to B. And mm-hmm. I was even thinking, like, if I ever tried to get, I would get claustrophobic. I can't, you can't have oh, yeah. me literally mashed against the door or, like, other people. Oh, yeah. And think that I'm going to not freak out. Really? I'm definitely You're freak short, out. huh? So I bet that's even scarier. It's, At least I can usually see above people's heads. I'm, like, that's gasping true. So for you're air. Like, All the air's up here for yeah. me. Rude. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, yeah, I would literally be in somebody's, like, bosoms or something. Like, oh, I'd be... How awkward. You're, like, in my armpit. Oh, I would be <laughs> Sorry, your... Lisa. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Lisa, I farted in your face. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not leaving that in there. 